Well, here we are, Monday. Market's still in the same place. But that could change this week. A lot of big earnings. GDP, not as important. We're going to talk about it with Tim Quast at 8.35. This is pre-market prep on a Monday. Let's figure this market out. Roll the intro, Aaron. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, good morning, traders and investors. We're down three and a quarter handles at 41.5350. If you were up at 3.30 this morning, you had a chance to buy the S&Ps near Friday's low, which was the low for the week, coming back up to unchanged at 56.75. We have the dollar in the red by 16.2 cents at 101.39, kind of pressing down on the lower end of a six-day trading range. Bonds trying to find support just under 130. Again, we're up 12.30 seconds at 130 and 9.30 seconds. Crude quiet down 16 cents at 77.71. Gold up 270 at 1993.20, trying to get back to the magic 2K level. We have silver back in the 25 handle. That's up uh, 7.2 cents at 25.13. And Bitcoin futures. Uh, Getting a little bit of a bounce up $225 at $27,535. Let's bring in Triple D. And I guess Triple D, if you had to pick a Friday to take the day off or not trade as much, it was last Friday. Boy, how about the quiet markets after options expiration? I tried to trade a little bit again. I had the, the wrist injury there from my angiogram. So I was uh, a little bit under the weather. I wasn't supposed to use my, so I was trying to trade left-handed. I did trade the close a little bit, but it was actually very quiet. So one of those days, Fridays, um, where you get an options expiration, sometimes, like I said, it seems like three out of 12 a month, they're wild. And then you get the other nine, they're pretty quiet. This one was on the quiet side. Maybe the call me for the storm because we haven't really got a ton of earnings. We've got Tesla, but we have a lot of earnings coming this week, Joel. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to uh, we'll get to the Coca-Cola, which is uh, having a little pop and a fizz here. But uh, uh, first, let's just, uh, just do some overall market talk here. Sure. I mean, we got through the regional bank, or, you know, most of the regional mm -hmm. bank earnings. We got through the banks, and, you know, we're coming up on the uh, the mega cap tech, right? Those yeah. are going to be – but, I mean, I looked – this trading range for April, and I'm, I'm, I may stand corrected on this. I think this is our smallest monthly trading range since 2019. I believe it was back in uh, – March or April of 2019, you can see on this uh, lower right chart here. I mean, this is a monthly candle, Dennis, right yeah. here. Yeah. That's a monthly candle. I mean, I know it's not good for, uh, you know, for overall trading if you're a volatility trader. No, it's here. not. 
No, I, I, and I feel it, Joel. And so far this month, and I have missed a couple of days here this month, but this is one of my, so March was one of my best months in a long time because the volatility had escalated. You had a pretty good, you know, to sell off to start the month and the wicked rally to end the month. Lots of movement, lots of range. And April has been crickets. We've gone nowhere. And I'm feeling it. This is one of my slowest months in years. So it's amazing to go from a pretty wild month in March to a nothing much month so far in April. Very, very slow for me. Um, and very, you know, disappointing to a certain extent. But I know, you know, because I trade inefficiencies, I trade relationships, I trade, you know, market movement too. When the market's not moving, you can't squeeze water from a stone. It has been quiet. And your volume too is probably reflected. Dried that, up. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Volume very quiet. Same thing. And I mean, you try to press it. And the one problem, and I do this and every trader does this, is when it's slow, you try, you take more chances and you press. And really that usually doesn't work out for the better when you're taking more chances. What you've just got to do is grind out. And sometimes the market's going to be slow. Sometimes, you know, the VIX, and when the VIX is falling now, we've got it down to 17. I mean, it's much slower than when it's at 25 or 26 and much, much slower than when it's at 30. So again, wild March, sold off the beginning, rallied the entire end of it. And then April, we've just been sitting here doing nothing. All right. So we talk, uh, well, we'll get to the Coca-Cola earnings. We love that the old Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon news dump. And uh, Dennis, uh, Citigroup had something to say about First Solar. Yeah, and it wasn't really even a news dump because I don't know why the analysts want to put out their cool notes on a Friday night. Like, if you want people to pay attention to your note, throw it out Monday morning. But they are still paying attention. First Solar coming in, downgrading, uh, or sorry, Citigroup coming in, downgrading First Solar to sell, which, um, you know, always catches people's attention. Stock is down five bucks here. A contrarian call big time here because you had a multi-year high in First Solar. Notice, Joel, I say multi-year high. Because we remember back in the day, and you always correct me when I say all-time high, that we got back up in 2008, 2009 to $300 on this thing. So we are still not back to where we were 14 years ago, but it's been a really good couple of years here for First Solar. This analyst definitely bucking the trend, but I see the major resistance they're talking about up at 220. So they're making a call, trying to stand out. I like it when the analysts make contrarian calls. I hate the lemmings that just jump on. Company has good earnings. We better upgrade it now. At least, you know, this analyst is making a call. All right. So there, I mean, so you're a long-term investor, right? You've been in this thing a long time, haven't rung to register yet. I mean, you know, we see it trading down 567. I mean, technically, I mean, yeah, the, the price action from today is down. But, I mean, it's a long-term trend. I guess you could draw a trend line off this 200 uh pre-market low we did get close to this 210 area 210 52 um i think you got to give it a little bit more room than that if you're i've been a long-term investor yeah. i would say if you take that out i would look at the next daily low at 205.48 as uh, potential support i think you'll find out real quickly off the open uh coming back up uh you could easily kiss the bottom of yesterday's range at 213.21. So I'd, I'd look at that as resistance and uh, see how much work you could do under uh, under 210 here in First Solar. But it's been one heck of a run for sure. So uh, we talk about earnings, right? And uh, Coca-Cola, big earnings out of Coca-Cola today. Let me uh, bring up my sheet. I've got uh, it here. You got you it? Okay. Show it. 
Uh, do you have the pro? Because um, I don't know if you have it on your screen, if you can show it or not, but it doesn't matter okay. if you can't. I'll just read it. It's a beat and a beat. So Coke, 68 cents versus 64. Sales, 11 billion versus 10.8 billion. Operating margin, slightly higher than expected. Unit case volume grew 3%. Everything looks fine. And I mean, fine in this earnings season has been just that fine. And if you're doing okay, they've been rallying you. One thing to consider again, Coca-Cola is a defensive stock, sometimes moves opposite the market. So market quiet today, not doing anything. So probably having zero impact there. I think you do have some major resistance up here on Coke at 65. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at the longer term chart, couple highs, couple pesky highs around there. We're there right now, 64.99. So you got some resistance right here, but you know, the Procter & Gamble, if we're just taking <laughs> leads from that, they, they had some resistance at 155, and it blew right through that. It probably helps that the market was a little bit leaky, and again, Procter & Gamble can move opposite the market, but it blew off that off the hop and just kept going to 158 before pulling back. So right now, this market is playing defense, and Coca-Cola is definitely a defensive stock. Yeah, uh, very big move, uh, up 94 cents. You're, you're mentioning uh, that pesky uh, 65 area. Uh, gapping up a buck, which is very unusual. Uh, the dailies really don't give you much here. Uh, at 64.65 is a high. So, I mean, I guess if uh, if you want to play the Procter and Gamble on this one, and you're buying it off the hop, maybe give yourself a little bit of room. But it would be one of these where if we did open 65 bid, you went up to like 64 and a quarter, 64.30, and then you came back down. I'd be a little bit cautious. Also, what a nice run uh, going into the report. The street just leaning the right way. We moved up from uh, $62 earlier in the month. So this is a big move for Coca-Cola. All-time high comes in at $67.20. Don't know if that's on the radar. Uh, it's bringing Pepsi up too. Now, Pepsi reports uh, later in the week. Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Yep, but that's always been a strong talk, a monthly, a strong stock, monthly resistance here uh, at 186.84, and you're coming up on that right now. So, man, oh, man, uh, these uh, defensive stocks look good. And is it good that the defensive stocks are strong, Dennis? Well, I mean... no, we talked about this on Friday, and it is somewhat concerning. And just talking to people over the weekend here, um, you know, construction, I have a lot of friends who are in construction, and multiple people saying, you know what? It actually, you know, is finally starting to slow a little bit, you know, like they were talking about, you know, one one gentleman was talking about, you know, builds and he's lost a couple builds and not to other contractors as people aborting projects. Um, so you are seeing a little bit of slowing, different sectors, pockets, you know, it does feel a little bit quieter. It doesn't feel like we fell off a cliff, though. It doesn't feel like the consumer is dead by any means. But I think the consumer is being a little more cautious here, too, which makes you think going into these earnings, you know, it's going to dictate. I mean, the next move whether it's higher or lower, is going to be dictated by all the earnings that we have coming this week, Joel. And they're big ones. Google is Tuesday, Microsoft Tuesday, uh, Visa, McDonald's on Tuesday. McDonald's always seems to be, does do pretty well. Wednesday's Meta, Boeing, Roku, eBay. Thursday, Amazon, Intel, First Solar, which we just talked about, MasterCard. You got Avian Gilead. You got Snapchat. And then Friday, ExxonMobil and Chevron. So you got some big guns. I think Google and Microsoft Tuesday are going to dict help to dictate which direction we're going. Tesla, obviously, you know, didn't help the overall market. It's still leaking, and it's down here today. And I think, you know, people are like, ooh, maybe are we just, you know, too bullish here? You know, with the recent rally that we've had, not just in Tesla, but talking about the overall market, maybe there's some profit taking into this. You know, Microsoft, 
Looks a little bit, you know, interesting here. It's downgraded today by BNP Paribus. So it's actually trading down about a buck and a half ahead of the earnings. But again, all that's going to matter is Tuesday night when we get Google and Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, ben Berger has uh, an interesting uh, uh, question here. He says, uh, you know, why is Coca-Cola better in treasuries? And uh, I mean, right now, you don't get any capital appreciation in the uh, the um, in the in the in the treasuries. And you're getting that in Coca-Cola. Well, I and again, I've argued the same thing. If you're going to be and there is a little bit of capital appreciation been happening here. But again, if you go into a market that's tough. You know, if we think if you if you're playing defensive in this market, I personally don't know why you're playing in discretionaries. I know they're at highs, and if you're a momentum trader, you're just going with that flow. But if you're an overall investor and you're like, well, I'm a little bit worried about this market, I better buy Coke and Procter Gamble. If you're worried about the market, buy treasuries. Because if the market gets really ugly, they'll hit everything. So treasuries are the safer bet. If you are bullish, why own Coke? Why own Procter Gamble? Why not own the, the, the mega cast why not own you know the technology companies why not own you know the cyclicals if you're bullish i'm still neutral playing it neutral playing it cautious i actually sold a little bit of stocks into friday afternoon's rally we had a pretty good rally friday afternoon off the lows i'm just i'm nervous man i can't break it i know the technicals are saying we're okay i know you know there's you know reasons to think of optimism inflation is coming down but I just keep looking here, and I'm still just a little bit nervous. I have deployed a little bit of cash. I bought a couple stocks. I bought a little wee bit of Disney. I bought a little bit of IWM. I bought – what else did I bought? Oh, yeah, I bought the Palantir, which has been not good at all. It was good for three days and then started to leak here. Uh, but, you know, overall here, um, I'm still playing it cautious, man. Yeah, I mean, look at look at this XLP. I mean, this thing has just, just been on That's a That's the market stud- playing cautious. Yeah. Yep, the overall and I market. think you see, Joel, I think you see, you know, certain, you know, funds can't just go all to cash. So if you've got fund managers that are sitting here, they mandate, they got to own so many stocks. But if you have some fund managers that have some flexibility, they're like, well, I'd like to own treasuries, but I can't do it because, you know, I've got to own some stocks. So you see them going to consumer staples instead. So you as an individual that don't have any, you know, specific parameters that you have to follow can do whatever you want. But the fund managers, some of them can't. Some of them have to buy stocks. So some of them are playing conservative stocks. But you can see clearly here, gold still holding on fairly strong, although it's starting to look a little bit toppy. Silver holding on fairly strong, but starting to look a little bit toppy. Um, consumer staples just you know breaking out on Friday there. Um, healthcare stocks have done very well, besides UNH, which had a terrible week uh, last week. Overall, you know, we know Johnson Johnson's come back and some of the healthcare, Merck, Lilly, still up near the highs. I mean, this market is still playing defense. If this market turns to offense, maybe things change. Um, but I think we got to wait. I got to wait to see what Google and Microsoft say. Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, good news and drugs, I, I look at Coca-Cola just blasted over 65 here. So uh, a relentless bid in Coca-Cola up 1.75%. Uh, Lily, uh, we got some good news out of Lily here. They're selling uh, Baximi, I believe, worldwide to Amistar for $500 million. They're going to get an additional $125 Lily, L-L-Y. What are they uh, selling? It's called Back Simi. It uh, it's for uh, low blood sugars and severe hypoglycemia. 
this is probably the something they develop with that company and yeah, I mean, what's five hundred million dollars? I mean, that's not big to uh, to Lily, but uh, the market likes it. Up, uh, up on only sixty six hundred shares. New all time high in here, yeah. Lily. Here, I mean, what do you? I mean, I'm really upset of? at myself because I liked Lily on that recent pullback in February and March. You know, we oh. we went all tech crazy and we started selling off the companies, the solid companies like Lily down three sixty to three ten. And I was thinking multiple times at three twenty, I was like, I should buy some Lily. I should buy some Lily. Give Kramer some props. We beat him up on this show sometimes, but he was one that was saying the same thing. He'd be buying this Lily, and Kramer was absolutely right on this one. Three twenty to 388 here now in the better part of a month i can't chase it now but on pullbacks here you know we know they have the weight loss drug coming they're still working on an alzheimer's drug lily just fires on all cylinders management is excellent on pullbacks um i think i'd be a buyer on pullbacks okay i'll just give you it's currently trading uh at right off the session high of uh a 389 i guess you just got to think about 390 you know maybe possibly i don't know about today but you know you get into these whole numbers just migrate itself up to to 400 but uh uh, just up on some news today uh we got some other stocks trading up ahead of earnings we got meta uh trading up a buck we have earnings later that week that's up a buck oh three I see some good resistance up here at the recent. I'm not going to call anything good resistance in this one. Uh, the recent high of the move has been uh, 222.11. Uh, what has been the closing high of the move? Boom. Uh, that was made on that day, too, at 221.49. I mean, what are you thinking if you've been, you know, you picked this thing up? Let's say you picked this up and double digits, right? Back in uh, uh, at the end of last year, here you are heading into a, a major report. Haven't taken back fifty percent of the uh, of the big break hit yet. Uh, Meta, I mean, still looking strong. Gap and go off that I, last I think report. He, I, th- I think I would take profits into the report, but I would have taken profits a long time <laughs> ago. So you know, it's when stocks double in three months. I ring the register normally, so that's a pretty darn good move. I mean, it's back to where remember we were worried about TikTok eating their lunch, and we were worried about so many other things. And the stock went from 350 to 100 bucks. Definitely got overdone. We got under 100. Hindsight capital is always 2020. But when we got under 100 bucks, it just got silly. I mean, this company's still making a lot of money. And you know, when it was getting down to a P of low teens, I mean, and, and even you know, approaching Lower. single digits, approaching yeah. single digits, it was just a, it was just a cheap stock. So it's revalued itself to probably where it should be. It's definitely not cheap as cheap as it was. It's still not expensive stock. We got to see what's happening here. I mean, we're going to get their earnings Wednesday. I wouldn't be surprised if you do see some ring the register, but it's hard to talk all these stocks technically. We right. have Google and Microsoft on Tuesday night and Meta on Wednesday night. So much fundamental information that is going to trump all the technicals coming in here. So hard to just be a technical trader on these. If you're long, maybe use stocks, but again, you know, you don't want to see all your losses evaporate here. Just for fun, let's go and look at what the options, you know, let's go look. What, what, the what are they pricing in for the expected move? We do that again for the newer listeners by looking at the calls and the puts. I usually go to the weeklies, look at the closest strike that I can grab. So the stock closed at 212.89. If I go grab the 212.50 weeklies expiring, I see that the calls were going for about 10 bucks. 990 to 1010 was the closing spread. And then the put uh, puts were going from 9.30 to 9.45, so you get just under 20 bucks. It looks like about 19.50 is the expected move. That's a big expected move, Joel. 19.50. 
So they're expecting an 8 or 9% move in meta. I don't know if it's going to have a move that big, but that seems like a big move. I don't know if I'd be buying that straddle. Yeah, I, I mean, for this, I mean, let's say it does get a big pop again, then whatever, shorts will be buried. And if someone, you know, held it through the report, but holding it could be, you know, a little extra, you know, a little extra meat on the bone. Uh, the recent high has been 222.11. And uh, your next monthly high comes in at 220, uh, 224.30. But like, I always, I always hesitate to like get, you know, try, try and pick tops in these things because what you went from 380 to 90, that's almost a 300 point move. Let's call it a 150 point move. You had, you know, you tack 150 onto to 90 and you're looking at, you know, 240, 250, you know, that, that area. And if you don't think a retracement like that could be done, I mean, look at NVIDIA. I mean, look at that thing. That's taken back more than half of its move. NVIDIA uh, move has been nothing short of incredible. I mean, we have now. But again, now you've come to, what, 55, 58 times earnings here on NVIDIA? I mean, when it got down into 100 bucks and was 29 times earnings, cheapest NVIDIA has been in a long time. Now it's like 60 times earnings on NVIDIA. How do I justify that? Again, trade anything. We're not talking as traders here. There's, I, I trade NVIDIA all the time. So you can trade with momentum, you can do all those things. But as a long-term investor, you know, I'm a fundy guy. I'm like, I don't pay 60 times earnings for stocks. I learned that the hard way back when I started investing in 1999. And I watched the portfolio go up, 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 and then just implode and die in 2001 when all those valuations contracted very quickly. So we saw the same thing happen in 2007, 2008. Valuations, you know, sometimes stocks grow into the valuations, and that's fine. Um, you know, that's great when they do that. But a lot of times, they're just overvalued. NVIDIA is just an overvalued stock. All right. Let's uh let's hold this keep on the good news and then we'll get to some bad news here. Uh uh ALB bouncing back a little bit after oh, gosh, that. This is one of my worst stocks. We need to stop talking about this stock. Every time we talk about it, it goes down another twenty dollars. We know it was the lithium news on Friday. Absolute disaster. LTHM, which I own a bit of that as well, disaster mm -hmm. as well. All the lithium stocks getting the beats as Chile was coming out talking about, you know, their lithium, you know, and their own companies. So, I mean, competition coming for them. ALB is a super cheap stock. Maybe it's cheap for a reason. Um, I don't even know where the PE on this thing is. It may be even approaching single digits, the PE on this thing. Um, ALB makes some money. I'm going to go look right now. But do the technicals, Joel. I mean, it's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> no reason as a trader to buy this kind of stuff. As a fundamental investor, you know, I take some heat. Sometimes it works out in the long run. Sometimes it doesn't. But right now, this stock is just flat out ugly. Yeah, nice move off the low. Uh, it did have some monthly support there. Uh, no, the monthly support was closer to 170. Uh, didn't quite get there yet, 171.82. Um, I think you'd rather see a, like a higher low and then maybe a couple quiet days. And then I, I don't know why this spiked at 4 a.m. open, 180. That was only on 100 shares. But I don't think you could really get too optimistic about this stock, at least until it takes out Friday's high. Um, and then there's a small gap in there. So there's a long ways to go to get to Friday's high uh, to turn over. Coming back on the downside after you made a move off the low like that, um, I think you'll find support if you get to that closing price uh, down at uh, 173.75. So that's that's uh, taking a look at uh, ALB. The, the, the Ford P on ALB is now six. The you know, and I, again, this is one of your biggest lithium you know makers in the world. So if you believe in EV, 
I think eventually this thing turns around, but as a trader, there's no reason to catch the falling knife. Wait till you get a double bottom. Wait till you get something else. You know, I'm in way too early. I was up in this trade. It was I had some momentum going. Um, some part of me keeps thinking, like I, I've done so well with my trading over the years, and I get this question so much. Why do you even have a long-term investment portfolio? If you can trade as well as you do, why not just trade it all? And part of me thinks, you know, maybe I should be doing that. The reason I haven't done that for all these years is that I had bright trading. So I wasn't using my own capital to trade. So I had my own capital also, you know, making me money on the investment side. So I was like, I'm making money trading using bright trading capital and I'm making my own money, you know, using my own money. So, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm picking up and I don't know what I was making on bright trading, but it was significant on a percentage basis, it'd be very significant. But again, I was using prop capital. So percentages are meaningless on that because you're not using your own money. Uh, but, you know, if I can make an extra six, seven, eight percent a year on my own money, that's just gravy. That's money on top of it all. It's a bit different story for myself now because I've left bright trading last year for tax purposes and because I'm, you know, just I've, I've got enough capital to trade on my own. So part of me just thinks maybe I should just sell all my stocks, put all of my trading portfolio and don't ever invest again. But then I look and I think, well, you know, some of this passive income that I've earned over the last 20 years has been significant as well. So and I know. You know, it's hard sometimes as an investor, you're like, oh, man, I'm getting killed in this or killed in that. But if you still buy good companies at reasonable valuations, usually eventually they do turn around. Not the Bed Bath & Beyonds, you know, which we have a segue to that, <laughs> we'll which is obviously declared bankruptcy over the weekend. But buying good companies at reasonable valuations seems to work. Merck was one of my best buys ever, long-term buys. And I bought that back. And you can go to the charts, Joel. You know, I'm just trying to teach a little bit of long-term investing here as well. Um, I bought that back, I believe, in 2010, and I think I paid about $38 or $37 a share. So if you go and look at the charts, and if you can scroll back that far, hopefully, you'll see. Yeah. yeah, you'll see. Right in there. Yeah, so about 35 probably. It was after the financial crisis, so it was right in there. And I can remember buying at 35 or $37 and going down to 29 And I'm like, man, why did I buy Merck? You know, you're looking at it, but yeah, just hold on, you hold on. Eventually, the stock obviously turned around. It was the PE at that time. The dividend yield on Merck at that time, I think, was 5 or 6%. The PE was sitting down there in single digits. And, you know, eventually, this story did turn around. Lilly was the same thing. Lilly was one of my best buys, too. I think I paid about 30 bucks for Lilly. Bring it up, same time frame, about Merck and Lilly, because the drugs were just so beat up. And you can see that Lilly, you know, it was ugly for a while. You know, 2010, 2011, I was down 10 15%, 20% on this thing. But eventually, it worked. Eventually, if you know, you're know you holding good companies at reasonable valuations, it seems to work in the long run. I do believe that ALB is a good company at a reasonable valuation here right now. So I do think if you're buying this and not looking at it, and maybe it's going to go down to 100 bucks, Maybe it's going to get uglier. Maybe you want your timing to time a little bit better. Why catch the falling knife? So maybe wait for it to actually bounce and then give yourself a shot. Like it make your entry better. But I do think eventually... ALB, I don't think it's a zero. I do think ALB, if you think the growth in EV five to 10 years from now, is higher than it is today. A couple things here, Dennis. Number one, you got to keep the long-term portfolio no matter what portion it is because it helps shape your perspective on the markets. And I think that, that whether you're wrong or right on some of these longer-term plays, you're constantly thinking about you know longer-term moves in the markets, the rotations, and the things that go into it. So maybe not all the investments work out, you know, 
that well for you, but I think it's that it's like your daily studying. It's giving you the perspective on the markets. Also, you know, with the way you trade, I mean, you know, could you triple your size that you're doing in stocks right now? Trading after hours in pre-market, if I could. you're applying in, yeah. I, I could mean, use, I could honestly probably make more money trading if I took every single stock that I have in my long-term investment portfolio convert it to cash, put it in my trading account, and I might make more money. But then I do give up these, you know, huge gainers. It's a trade-off. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm torn there a bit. It was a no-brainer was that break because I had this money. I'm like, what do you do with the money that you're making in your day trading account? You don't need that much of break because you're using Bright Trading's capital. But, you know, now that I'm on my own, I'm like, part of me thinks maybe I should do that. You know, maybe I should just become a trader because the timing of my trading. And again, I'm not talking to everybody out there. I'm talking to people who trade full-time, there's some traders who have been very consistent for years. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the alpha I extract from trading is way more than I do from long-term investing. But I don't put the time in the long-term investing. I mean, I don't have to sit there and, you know, like move and in and out and in and out and grind and grind and grind like I do in my trading account. I'm grinding in my trading account. I'm working my trading account. It's an eight-hour job. My long-term invest portfolio is like an eight-hour job a month. So if you're making more, you know, some money there dollars per hour maybe isn't that bad. I mean, I've had Apples and I've had MasterCards and I've done very well in the long-term portfolio over the course of my 20 years. Have I outperformed the market in the long-term portfolio? I've never really sat and analyzed it to really know that. I know I've done well at times. I've done, you know, but I can guarantee you in my trading account I have. So I don't know. It's tricky. Do you it's have, as a, as if you're a really good trader, the question is, do you have a long-term portfolio or just trade it all? I don't know. I haven't really answered that question. It's a tough one. All right. So let's, we kind of been given a, a little rosy scenario today about the you know, earnings and everything, but there is caution. Uh, there's concern in this market. And uh, this Tesla chart, uh, who, you know, let us, uh, you know, the great January, uh, the good February, the fall off back in March, uh, did have the rally, but man, this gap down after earnings here. And uh, it's not acting like the Tesla of old here. And, uh, you know, I looked at this chart on Friday and I just look at this 140 to 160 area. There's just no memory in here. So, you know, um, you know, if you're looking for a stock that's been a big leader and on the upside here, uh, this this Tesla chart down again today, down a buck 68. Uh, there's not a lot of love. I mean, there's a lot of news and everything that's going on, but uh, I mean, how much, you know, this has to make you a little bit cautious on the market uh, looking at this Tesla chart. Uh, it does. And I mean, it's not good that they didn't, you know, start immediately buying the dip, still holding the lows from earnings day. And that's important, but you don't want to see that 160 get breached. So I would say if you are buying the dip in Tesla, you absolutely need that dip. As a trader, you need that dip to hold. So 160.56, I'd say my stop out, if I was long this, I'm not long it, but if I was, I'd stop out under 160. It's not a cheap stock. Some stocks you can buy and you can lean on valuation to a certain extent. Again, no, if you're in a cyclical industry, and ALB is cyclical as well. So, you know, you can't just say, oh, it's six. You know, I'm going to be okay. Some of these, you know, the PE could go up. If we go into recession, that ALB PE is going to climb rapidly because that E is going to go right down. But, you know, in some cases, you can look and say, well, I do have some protection here. I don't think this is a zero. I don't think this company is. But when you get into situations in Tesla, you have some protection as well. But the protection is much lower. You know, when you're trading 55 or 60 times earnings, I believe that's where Tesla is now. The value investors aren't touching it. Down at 100, the value investors started getting interested, and they would be interested. But at 163, the value investors are out. So now you're completely leaning on momentum traders and momentum and growth. And if the growth starts to slow, 
the growth traders, you know, or the growth investors say, okay, I'm out. And the growth, that last report was not great. It wasn't showing us this huge growth in Tesla anymore. It's actually showing the opposite there. So you're stuck in a hard place here with Tesla right now. It's like the growth investors are like, well, there's better places to be. And the value investors are saying, are you nuts? So that leaves you with this gap. And I always say when stocks go from growth and eventually all stocks trade on valuation, you know, they become growth, growth, growth. When the growth starts to slow, valuation starts to matter. You get this gap between the growth and the value investors. And that's where stocks can come in very quickly. We saw that happen with Tesla in 2022 came down to reasonable valuations at 2023 when it got down to 100 bucks. Would I be a buyer of Tesla back down at 100 bucks? Probably. But at 163, it's still not very cheap. All right, Dennis, I hope you're sitting down because I have some news for you that you're going to find very shocking. Uh, Triple BY is uh, yeah. filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, yeah. trading down 25% at 22 cents. Say goodbye to Triple B Y. Yeah, officially over. I mean, again, these things go bankrupt. It doesn't mean it's a zero. It'll end up going to the pink sheets. It will trade for a long time. So bankruptcy doesn't always necessarily mean a zero, but it's 22 cents. I mean, the people who bought this even a couple months ago at $7 probably are not going to get their money back. I mean, Cohen got out just in time. We're talking Ryan Cohen, obviously, you know, selling up there in the, above the 20s. And since he sold, the stock has basically been straight down. So... This story is over. Does it hurt the other meme stocks here today with the official? I mean, GameStop is trading down 30 cents here in the pre-market. AMC trading down 1%. But this is not a shocker. The rating was on the wall. We knew this was going to happen here. So I don't think it's like, oh my goodness, this one went under. I better sell all my meme stocks. If you were selling your, if you were worried about your meme stocks, you probably were selling them well before this. So I'm not sure this just all of a sudden equals an implosion in GameStop and AMC. Uh, I did see a movie this weekend, and you might be uh, you, a little, uh, you might be a little surprised that I went to see. You saw it. Mario? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, we'll no. Um, after uh, several hours of family debate, um, I went to see the movie Air. You know, that's uh, um, you know my uh, Michael Jordan and yep. my bad boys. Uh, but my daughter Dana uh, told me it was a really good movie. And it didn't, um, it didn't, it wasn't all about Jordan. It was more about Nike, how they put the company together, how they yeah. went after Jordan. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and also, you know, um, that's an Amazon uh, a movie and they went to the theater first and then they're going to release it on Prime. So, I mean, not saying to run out and buy AMC or whatever, but, um, you know, they, you know, streaming has not completely killed. I think it's, you know, people like to go. They let, you know, it's not only like they get out. They like to go see that. And yep. uh, so I would give it, it was not a bad movie. Ben Affleck was in it. Matt Damon was in it. So um, I would definitely, uh, I would definitely uh, recommend it to, uh, if you want, if you want to see a movie on that. Uh, as far as I did stock, take my kids to see the Super Mario movie, which I thought was pretty good. So I thought they did a pretty good job with that. Obviously, I was a big Mario Brothers fan, so I probably appreciate it more than more than others if you didn't play Super Mario. But um, it, I, I have no problem with the movie theaters. The problem with AMC has always just been valuation. So you know, but the problem is. That you know, it's, it hasn't been a money maker in a long time either. So I don't like buying companies that don't make money. Okay, all right. Uh, we're waiting uh, for Tim Quas to arrive here. Um, okay. I did see um, AI uh, got a downgrade here. 
Um, yeah. Wolf research. The buzz coming out a little bit here of the AI movement. We really saw this taking off a few days ago, and obviously not even a few days ago. I'd say a few weeks ago. It's starting to slow down a bit. Again, valuation does matter on some of these stocks here. AI, $18.33. So breaking down over the critical support of 20. You never want to see that. If we had money, Mitch, he'd give us all these others. But we do have our chat here. <laughs> I know there's all these other smaller AI companies that I don't know the names. What's S-O-U-N one? Soundhound? Yeah, that one's come off here a little bit. You know, I was playing Palantir for my AI. It's, it's down a little bit too here now. Um, again, I don't think they've ever thought of Palantir as an AI play as a problem. So it never really got the love, you know, and the big move up when the AIs was starting to go. I don't really get why it didn't get the love, but it never did. So I don't think it's going to get the sell-off like the other ones did either. Although the charts doesn't look that great. I may actually end up getting stopped out on the Palantir. Um, I don't know. What are what these other little ones? BFRG. Okay, crap. Chat's awesome. Thank you, Amen. CXAI. What's that one done? We're just looking. That said AI. Yeah, it was 20. It's now 8. We know how these stories end on some of these stocks. BFRG. You know, is it over? I don't think the story is over by any means, but the story has cooled off now in the last few days. Could the story get hot again? It could. It could get hot. It could just be like an analyst upgrade. Maybe somebody says something. You know, maybe there's some decent reports and the market just gets hot again. So I don't think the story is over here, but it's definitely cooled off. And again, it's hard to buy some of these stocks in your long-term portfolio for the simple reason is that most of these companies do not make money. Wide open between 15 and 20 here. So uh, it went through that area in three days. If you're looking for more on the downside here, 1747 uh, was your low on January 31st. But you know what? We always need to add more structure to this show, right? Huh. And like what's those. a better way to do it than bring it on Tim Quas for Market Structure Monday? All right, Tim. How did how did you uh, how'd you like that intro there, buddy? I'll tell you that was some professional segue. Oh, I know. Joel's getting good at this. Usually, it's Money Mitch doing the segues because <laughs> Money Mitch is off this week. He's right. on a cruise. We hope he's enjoying himself. But Joel's getting good at these segues yeah. too. Yeah. Well, who who do you think taught Mitch everything ah. he knows? You know, and you for that matter. Um, <laughs> all right. I never, I never learned though. Mitch is <laughs> Mitch is out copying me. Sailing in the Caribbean. Oh, no. no, no, no well, no. we all want to copy That's, Tim Quas. Yeah, we all, yeah. everybody deep inside just wants to live Tim Quas' life <laughs> on the ski slopes, cruise, and oh, I'm over in the Mediterranean. I mean, Tim has figured out how to live life to its fullest here, where I just sit in my trade cave and try to analyze whether, ah, oh, I think this stock's weak or strong, or oh, we got some supply and demand issues. You know, I'm actually pouring my life. <laughs> okay well, tim tim it's yeah. uh it's uh it's boring here i mean it's good time for you to take another month and a half vacation uh but uh new options trade today mm -hmm. what does that mean to traders well and you know people don't really think about this that uh options expire and then they renew and that it's enormous and uh it, it, i'm you know how i love to quote literature, you know, theological sayings, that sort of thing. And, and uh, so something comes to my mind. There's this great phrase from, from the book of Ecclesiastes in, in the Bible that says, biblical I, I, well, you know, it's not that I'm suggesting that, you know, some kind of biblical uh, apocalypse is ahead of us. I don't think so at all at the moment, but the, the, the race is not to the swift 
nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to all. There's more to that, but the way I think about this from market structure edge is you want to reduce the risk of time and chance. And mm -hmm. so when new options trade, there is an elevated time and chance risk because you don't know what's going to happen. I can tell you that from a trading perspective, how this impacts us is that there's implied supply and implied demand. And that is what options are. So when they reset, there will be parties who are expecting to sell volatility or buy volatility. And there may be some difference between supply and demand. And how would we know? Well, you could, do, you could look at individual stocks and see where it is. But the risk is that there's a supply-demand imbalance. And here's my key takeaway. On days like today, how the market begins may not be how it ends oh, and and it's and it's and it's because of this so you can't just look at the futures and say well the dow's down 42 points ish and uh, everything's muted and everything's fine the market could be way up could be way down and it will be due to some form of imbalance between the supply and the demand for options and it's trillions of dollars you have to think about that during uh, earnings, too. We got 1,700 companies reporting results this week. Oh, my gosh. And <clears> we <throat> do here, Tim. And they're going to get yeah. some big ones. So we want to dive into the market structure on two of these companies, which are going to report yeah. tomorrow night. And they are Google and they are Microsoft. And these two stocks have been going yep. kind of head to head here, which is so interesting. Usually they trade together, but they were trading opposite a bit because obviously Microsoft came out with the chat GPT product. And Right. Employing it and putting it into Bing, and people are like, "Whoa!" If Microsoft picks up some, you know, a few percentage points of market share on Google with their Bing product, all of a sudden, you know, Microsoft. So now we're seeing Microsoft and Google sometimes going opposite directions, which I find so interesting. Here, I'm really curious what your system is looking at when you look at Google and you look at Microsoft as they both report tomorrow night. Okay, well, let's have a look at this. By the way, I as you were talking about Chat uh, Chat GPT, talking about artificial intelligence and c3 ai is a great read and and i just happen to have it up here so if you're looking at this by the way traders the it, it the chart may show you the same thing but this is not awesome <laughs> this is terrible demand too much oh, man. Supply. demands near so, one yeah if you're getting you ticked up it ticked up <laughs> it it ticked up a little bit but five is what you need to have enough demand to sustain price it's the bare minimum to me doesn't mean things can't rise off of one it happens on occasion but it's a way to think about that okay so let's look let's look at microsoft first and i do think that this is really interesting that uh, that i would never have thought that cracks would show in the great google wall but they have, haven't they? It shows mm. that it doesn't matter how big you are. It's kind of back to the, you know, the, the race is not to the swift nor to the battle to the strong because all of them can fall. And, and I think that Microsoft has demonstrated leadership in AI and, it's, and, and, the, the, and there are fissures in search for Google, which is the core of Google's value. I mean, it's a, whole, it's a very interesting it's it, thing. Very much. Exactly. So heading into earnings for Microsoft, this is not bad. It doesn't, it doesn't portend a big surge. And here's all I'm looking at, folks. This is price. So the gray part of the graph, just closing price. That's all. This is an algorithm. The green part is an algorithm called market structure sentiment. It's demand. It's just computing the contributions of different purposes and time horizons to price. And those things fluctuate. 
And you can measure that mathematically. It's right at five. It has not been below five in the entire span of this chart. That's very good. This is supply. So supply peaked here, so price weakened. If supply rises, price tends to weaken, all other things being equal. But look at it right now. The, the supply side is way below trend and demand is steady. They're not separating. So I'm not looking at that and saying, well, there's a you know going to be a big jump, but it tells you people are very confident in Microsoft. This looks good. It, clearly, people are not short Microsoft. Doesn't mean the price can't fluctuate, but all other things being equal, this will produce uh, in the pr two weeks preceding, pro proceeding, not preceding, following results, higher prices. All of the things being equal. Just okay, looking so back here, and you know, it will test <clears throat> your system here, but it looks yep. like it's going to pass this test pretty well here because I'm looking at your top chart there, and you can explain, you know, when you see, you know, well, you can see when it was back at a five, it looks like demand, you know, when I started this chart. I'm trying to see my eyes. Are, yep. are getting bad here in the area, but it looks like at the beginning of March, we were around a five. We've just been upticking demand, 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 been slowly yep. upticking here. And you know what? Prices went up, up, up since then too. So, I mean, sometimes do you just look at, you know, what's at a five and climbing or should you, you always should look at the supply side as well. It depends on what your aim is. If you want to buy what I would call value or low volatility, you want things that are at five with declining supply. Coke and Pepsi reporting results this week. Both of them have those. Yes, and, and the data showed exactly what you would expect. Now realize, Coke is not growing. Coke is increasing prices. <laughs> That's what drove PE or, or EPS for Coke. You have to realize that. So it's not selling more units. It's selling units at a higher price, but the, the supply-demand equation for Coke is very good. But this is the key. You know, if demand rises over five and supply declines, we look for this condition. We look for it mathematically. We run a divergence calculation so we can find that kind of stuff and say, well, that's where you want to be. And that's where the price gains came. When supply rose, then, de then the price stopped rising. It's a very consistent theme. It's not perfect. There's no perfect solution. No perfect. But it's so simple to be able to see supply and demand balances and imbalances that even I can understand it. That's the, you know, that's the key. So uh, it, now let's look at Google. Yeah, so how Google. does Google compare? And I'll take the non-voting shares. Just I think the non-voting shares are a better reflection of shorter term behaviors, interestingly. And there will be differences between them. And who's using the non-voting stock? Well, indexes and ETFs in large part for their rebalances. Doesn't mean those hmm. firms aren't voting on outcomes. But if you're going to move in and out of things, you're going to use Goog over Google. <clears throat> so... This, it's an interesting read on what will happen ahead of results. Well, it's not as good, is it? It's not, it's fine. There's yeah. the same, the same, the same condition exists that that for Microsoft that it spends a lot of time above five, but it had a little break below, a yeah. little break below five. And here you have rising supply and demand that is steady. Microsoft yeah. has falling supply and demand that's steady. If you're gonna pick a horse at the moment, you pick Microsoft. And maybe that makes some intuitive sense. I mean, you yep. know, again, you've got the nervous people out there. Yep. Even myself, I sold my Google after owning it for 15 years. So I was nervous about Microsoft. I hear this stuff. They pick up a few percentage points of market share. It's a big difference to both Google and Microsoft because Google yep. is basically a monopoly on search. So if all of a sudden people are like, I'm going to bing this with this chat GPT and I'm going to get a better answer. I'm like... That's a scary thought. And I've owned Google in my long-term portfolio for, I think I owned it for 12 years and I've actually sold wow. it here now. 
So wow, I'm like, well, I'm a little a bit of nervous about this. You know, I took a huge, you know, paying a big tax bill at Google to do that. So yeah. I'm somewhat nervous about it. Yeah. Well, it's at the moment, it's justified. And the beautiful, beautiful thing to me about uh, market structure, and I repeat myself, not because I'm, I'm, I'm uh, becoming mentally decrepit. That has already happened. Uh, but because repetition is the best form of emphasis, market structure reflects all known inputs. You don't have to go know what all the hedge funds know, what the short-term traders know, what the stock pickers know, what the asset allocators know, because you can just look at it here and it will tell you. That's how I think about it. I realize I'm a market structure, you know, nerd, but I like this view. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a look at uh, let's take a look at Meta. Um, that's also uh, due to report this week. We Wednesday. talked about. Yep. Um, we also talked about uh, the strata on that being 20 bucks would be a pretty big move here. But, uh, boy, just the way this thing's been trading, I, I have to say the market structure is going to look pretty good on this one. Tim, what do you have to say? I agree. While demand has weakened some, you know, it, the the best gains came when demand was well above five and supply was generally below trend. You will oh, There is a cause and effect. So this little rise right around March options expirations and index rebalances, that's to meet needs, but it slowed the price for a couple of days. Here's the change. Soon as demand weakens and supply rises, that's a great time if you're short term, if you're short term to stop because we got no further gains until supply drop well below trend. Then you can get them again. But this is a classic setup that we have. Fact, this is named for one of our edge users we call it the hicks rule if demand is either rising as hit 10 or is is very steady and day over day supply falls there is nearly nearly a 100 percent chance of, of producing a gain of at least half of the volatility for that stock so i'd look at this and say there's a very strong chance again it there's also a small percentage chance that it declines because you know options will reset here but if you look at this and say steady demand falling supply i would go look at it in a portfolio and say well what is its intraday volatility that's how we read this and i'll go into the benzinga april 24 portfolio I'll put it in here and look at meta and and say well how much might i make well not a whole lot but you could probably make a a somewhere between a one and two percent gain on earnings out of out of meta you say well i don't know if that's that interesting well it beats beats the heck out of a decline and you have a very high mathematical uh, opportunity to produce that gain and realize that's one 255th of a year that you're making one percent or better because there are 255 on average trading yeah. days in a i take one percent gains all over the place <laughs> exactly. i mean i i, I and, and in my own my own personal trading, and obviously I do a lot of commissions, I do a lot of production. I'll yeah. enter a trade if I have a 0.1% edge on any <laughs> given trade for my for my day trading. If I feel like I have a 0.1% edge, so one-tenth of a percent, I will enter the trade for that. I don't enter yeah. if it's under that because, you know, I'm, I'm retail now. I do pay commissions. It's considerations there. But I feel yeah. like if I have a 0.1% edge, um, I will enter a trade. So I'll enter trades for 1% edges too. What I would say is, though, it's hard to enter a trade two days ahead of earnings for a 1.9% edge because it's a predicting right. the options. We were just looked yeah. at them a few minutes ago, and they're predicting almost a 10% move in this stock. So it's right. going to be a big move potentially in one direction or another. But you still like – what? Well, let, let's just say scenario analysis here. How much does the market structure change if the stock 
you know, beats or disappoints? Does it change rapidly? Or does this dictate kind of maybe even what happens after it reports? So let's say it reports and misses and dips. Is yeah. because the market structure is so strong that the dip is more likely to be bought? I would, the answer to, there are two I, multiple considerations. questions there. Yeah. It, it's so, so, uh, the, so there are two, to me, two things to keep in mind. If a company reports before new options price, we have found this statistically to be true. The damage lasts longer. Why? Well, because the, the new information will be priced into the new set of options and the options will be priced lower and it has a drawdown effect on price. If you report after they've been priced, but you still have, if, if those, those options have effectively, if they're monthlies, 20 days to run, there's a lot of opportunity for people to come in and trade those options profitably and stocks do better. So we always counsel public companies report after the new options are priced because the damage of a of a miss will be diminished. That's one factor. Then we look at behavior. While all behaviors can set prices, one of the core principles of Reagan MS, no preference for exchanges. Fast traders cause short-term damage because they don't actually own anything. So if you have a day where the stock's down 10%, 15%, and the only behavior is fast trading where the there's no change in ownership, well, it can bounce back very quickly. If it's stock pickers, three of these have actually one, two, three, four, five of the seven stocks here are being led by stock pickers, which is unusual. That tells us there's a lot of focus on what these companies are going to report. Active money prices the market only less than one out of 10 trades. Active stock pickers are less than 10% of daily trading volume. Fast traders are over 51% of trading volume. So if they come and go and hammer volume and move the price, but they don't actually change the real ownership of the stock can recover very quickly. So Real quick, Tim, Tim, we got we're coming up against the clock here. Yeah. Uh, but coming up to a big earnings week, more risk or more reward this week for traders. Quick answer for you. This is the this is the supply demand balance in the S&P 500. So, demand actually looks pretty good. That's those little squares, that's options expirations. So that we just got through that new options trade today. If does it go up or down? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Supply is way down. It has not reversed course. You look at that and say, well, it's not terrible. The trouble will be if we get to Wednesday or Thursday, we're out of this whole options expiration cycle, new options trade today, counterparties true the books Tuesday. Wednesday is reality. If this is rising and that is falling, then we're in trouble. If not, we're fine. So I, that's a wishy-washy answer, Joel. I love <laughs> it. <All right. laughs> but calm before the earnings storm, and it's exactly. also going to dictate the next move. Yeah. Okay. All right, Tim. So uh, we're going to get uh, you're going to be you're going to miss a couple weeks, but we'll be following uh, the market here we, real closely. We uh, will Tim see you Clark, we'll we'll see you next week, but then I'll be out for three weeks. Okay. Where so are you I'll going this time? Where are he's, you going? He's Greece. going all out. Oh Greece. my gosh! Go sail I just and, need a taste of Tim Quas' life just for like a week. This guy, man, he knows all how right. to live it up. It, if you want to. to, to Look at Tim Quas. Live your life like Tim because he enjoys life. Work hard, play hard. Go, Tim Quas. That's right. All yeah, right that's Tim. good. Life's all short. Right. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thank Have you very week. much. Thanks, so, uh, SP's coming all the way back to unchanged here on the session. 
56.75. That was your closing yeah. price. This is the first time we've seen this in pre-market trading here. We'll see if we can get to yesterday's high. Uh, that would be Friday's high of 41.61. But we got five minutes left, and you know what time it is now? It's time for our Trade Zero segment. Okay. All right. Here we go. We got the uh, trade zero uh, go, dashboard up We usually here. go to the losers and then the winners. Let's start where winners or losers. We'll start with the losers today. So Joel's going to go to the net losers. This is what's down the, the most out of some of the big companies that we watch. First Solar leading the charge. We already talked them. They got the downgrade from City. Uh, BNTX is down five bucks here. I did not look at the news on BNTX. I'm and you know I've been a fan more of Moderna than BNTX. And I've talked about that potential for a pair trade of long Moderna, short BNTX. Let's go look what the BNTX news. Is I, you know what? I am not. I am not seeing any news in BNTX. Uh, boom! Since uh, maybe you could find something here, but I'm going uh, hunting. yeah, you go hunting. Well, I will take a look at look the, the price action. All right, the technicals are ugly here. Uh, we've come off this 130 area extremely hard. Trading, you got a step down seller here. 113 is the low of the pre market session. Do I have anything for you? Yes, I do, folks. If you're looking for a potential with a capital P, potential support point BNTX, that comes in at 110 even. That's three bucks away. Triple D, you got the news on it. Uh, still hunting here, actually, yeah. but there is some drug news. Um, I'm just trying to write all this. I don't understand as I'm reading some jargon. Here. All right. First solar. I just want yeah. to say that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, downgrade, uh, to sell, which is a nasty word on wall street. That's still working. It's uh way down here. Uh, pre-market low just came in at two ten fifty one. Uh, we mentioned uh, a couple lows near the under the 210 area. So if you're looking at the next daily low, 20801 uh, Micron here. There's a big stock trading in there. And yeah. One yeah. of my worst trades of the month was Micron. And I was short and just so happened. I remember I got run over on that. What? I don't even remember the news, but I went from like 58 to like 64 overnight. And I was like, are you kidding me? Anyways, I took the brunt. I, that was That hit my month hard that micron trade it was an overnight trade i don't even remember what the news was on it now it was like it was the samsung it was the samsung that samsung were... lowering demand lowering yeah supply. yeah yeah, low, yeah. <laughs> and then they thought that's good for micron. it's leaked it all back so you know it's it's come back it's taken about 10 days but it's now leaked away all those gains here it keeps topping out the same spot just struggling 63 64 bucks keeps struggling oh, oh look at that on the monthlies holy mackerel Look at that that area. I'd see three, four, five different highs on the monthlies there in Micron. Trading in the red, 59.50. I would say if you've been waiting for a gap fill, I think that's the day you got tan, Dennis. Uh, it'd oh, be yeah, a tan. gap fill at uh, 59.15 would be a gap fill. Uh, no, we're not too far away from that. Let's do one more on the downside here. And, uh, man, oh, man, I'm seeing a lot of China stocks here. I see uh, Baidu. Uh, that's traded down a buck sixteen. That's been straight down. Pin duo duo. Ugly. Uh, yeah. What's going on in China? Well, I don't know, but we've seen them give back basically all of these gains. So we said this last week. You've pulled back enough now here that you know you look at Baba's giving back over half the move. Baidu's giving back the entire move. JD just continues to make new lows. 
I still feel like the geopolitical risk, which keeps me out of these stocks, is showing up in the stock charts. And again, if there was an invasion of Taiwan, these stocks would all gap down 10% plus on that day. I don't think maybe even more. I don't think that's imminent here, but it's not a zero. Never know. It's not a zero. Like it's not a zero probability. You know, is it a 50% probability? I don't want to put that high either, but it's there. And it's what keeps me out of China. I have very little China exposure and I'm scared to buy these stocks. I'm just scared of the tape bomb of saying something that even, you know, you know, even, you know, makes you think about, you know, war. But I don't think it's off the table. And I think that's what's being priced into these China stocks here once again. Taiwan Semiconductor has come off. You can say it's slowing demand. You can say it's a lot of things. But I just think there's a lot of people who are nervous about the geopolitical risk in owning China stocks. All right. Let's accentuate the positive here. Let's go to uh, the stocks that are making a move to the upside here. And uh, what's catching your eye here, Triple D? At top of the list, ASML. We don't really talk That's about that. That's a money that. Mitch stock, though. Um, he talks about that one every once in a while. I don't trade it very much because it's an ADR. And why that I don't trade that is because it's pricing overseas. So when, you know, I'm trading ASML here, I'm trading it, you know, on the secondary market because the primary market is overseas. And the high-frequency traders are just keeping the spread. So you've always got that spread. So there's not a lot of, like, real action in there. It's mostly just like what Tim would say, that fast money action that's keeping that spread. And if you look at the algorithms, you can see them automatically adjust their prices. As the price moves in Europe, they automatically adjust. And they're trying to pick up a 40-cent spread on you. I don't like paying that 40-cent spread. Yeah, it's a $600 stock. But there's other places to be. So it's difficult to trade these stocks when you're in the secondary market. And that's what we are. And that's why I don't trade ASML. How about ENPH moving the opposite here at First Solar this morning? Yeah. Uh, it's been a serial un- underperformer here. Uh, but, boy, you got good support at the 225. Is that a 225? No, that's a 220 area. Trading up here on 8,000 shares. Kind of a tight range, maybe take a look at this 227 something about new area. micro inverters i'm just looking at the pro oh, headline the new, there yeah. end phase launches new iq8 micro inverters for high powered solar modules in spain and portugal that headline broke at eight o'clock so um it's got a little bit of a lift on there uh, we have seen this enph and first solar going completely opposite directions oh, so yeah. you know if you're pair traders and first solar enph that's been a tough you know pair because they seem to have no relationship whatsoever they go opposite ways but um, we're starting to see oil break down here right now. If you're wondering why, you know, we're starting to see the S&P just leak back a little bit here, which we haven't talked about, is oil just starting to leak here a little bit this morning. Not a massive breakdown, but oil definitely leaking here this morning. Okay. All right. We uh, 9.02 here. We're going to wrap up uh, the Trade Zero segment. Be sure you go over to Trade Zero and uh, check out that platform. Uh, Triple D, I thought one interesting comment Tim made was, is what you're seeing in the pre-market may not what you see in the actual regular session. We've had a really nice rally here. Uh, we seem to hit a little resistance at the close here. It's just going to be another day of wait and see in the S&P 500 index futures. Um, yeah, I think so. We're in the calm before the storm. I mean, if we just look at the earnings calendar, yeah, we had Coke t- today. I mean, we can go and look. Bank of Hawaii just reported, and it's getting hit. So it's down about 3 bucks. But actually, it's just on some um, odd lots. Um, well, some, it hit originally when they reported, and it's actually bid back up. It's only down 2 right now on the bid. 
Um, but if you look tonight, you got a few, you know, you have FRC, which is probably honestly wouldn't normally be the highlight of the night, but it's going to be the stock that everybody's looking for. We had a good pop in WAL last week. We talked about a potential pair trade with some of the regionals that were really beat up getting a lift. FRC has absolutely done that. Went from 1270 to 1450, which is a really nice three-day move off the WAL report. So let's see what FRC says. I mean, I wouldn't hold it long through this report. But it's going to be a very important uh, report tonight for the regional banks and for the KRE itself. Okay. All right. We're going to sign out here with the S&Ps down a buck 50 at 41.55 and a quarter. We mentioned that unchanged at 56.75. And let's see if the bulls uh, could push it through 41.61. That was Friday's high. On the downside, this 41.35 area, 41.35, 41.40. Uh, that's been your your lows for the last three or four sessions. So we know where the bulls are defending and uh, – We'll see if the Bears make a stand. So great job today, uh, Triple D. Everyone, good luck out there. Back with you guys tomorrow morning.